It's good to be with you across your church. If you're here in person or online, uh, I love you. I love coming and joining with you each week to worship our God together. It's just a gift. And so thank you for being here this morning. When I was in the Air Force, I was part of a squadron that uh, maintained the aerial refueler planes. They're called KC-135s. They're basically a flying gas tank. And so they would uh, go out onto the uh, skies and they would allow fighter jets to come up and all sorts of other airplanes to come up and get refueled. Uh, because, for example, a fighter jet can't fly very long without getting refueled. And so they would refuel and then go on their mission. A lot of times that fighter pilot would come and once they get connected and start to get refueled, it could be somewhat of a break for them. They could take it easy, but the Air Force always encouraged them not to do that because a fighter pilot that is distracted from combat is not a good thing. A fighter pilot that's distracted from combat is not a good thing, so they'd encourage them to stay in the battle. Even when you are getting refueled, be thinking about what your next move is going to be. Being a fighter pilot is uh, highly demanding, and there's all sorts of stress to it, and, and so they would train them to constantly stay in the battle because a fighter pilot who is distracted is not a good thing. The same thing is true for us as Christians. The Bible has language that tells us that we are in a battle, but we can be easily distracted by the things around us. We get easily lulled into complacency, forgetting about the battle. We are in a series called Defining Moments, where we're wrapping up this series today. I hope it's been helpful for you as you've launched your 2021, but today we're going to close our series by talking about the battle and looking at the words of the Apostle Paul that reminds us that the Christian life is a life of battle. And we're going to look at not only that reality, but how to be prepared for that. So I encourage you, if you have a Bible, to open it up to Ephesians chapter 6. If you have a paper Bible, Ephesians is towards the back. You'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, and Ephesians. Um, We're going to be looking at chapter 6. And I'm going to just be focusing on three verses today. And what I want to share is I want to look at how the Apostle Paul instructs us and gives us a way to engage in the battle that we find ourselves in. There's three things we must know about living the battle. Three things we must know. We must know the battlefield, the enemy that we're fighting, and the reality of living there. The battlefield, the enemy we're fighting, and the reality of living in battle. So that's what we're going to look at. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to be focusing on verses 10 to 12, but I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning. Uh, Instead of taking those in order, 10, 11, 12, I'm going to start with 12 and work my way backward, 12, 11, 10, just to make sure you're awake and paying attention this morning. So that's my goal. So we're going to take a look at these verses to understand what we're living in. So let's first look at the battlefield. What is this battlefield like? Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Paul uses a lot of great descriptive language here to describe our battlefield. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. That's the battlefield. It's a, it's a battlefield he paints, and we can learn at least two things from this verse about the battlefield. The first thing that we can see is this fight, this battlefield, is a personal battlefield. 
It's not a battlefield where there's like, there's a lot of us in the battle for sure, but it's not a battlefield where you can like hide behind somebody or you can hide behind a rock. It's a battlefield where every single Christian is engaged personally, whether you know it or not, you are in a battle. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you are engaged in that battle, whether you're aware of it or not. It's a personal battle. The word struggle, where it talks about for our struggle, the word struggle, the picture there is not like this battle where there's these cannons and tanks and all these big things. It's a a hand-to-hand combat. It's a one-on-one personal battle. In fact, the picture is taken from Greco-Roman times. Obviously, as a culture, this was written. And I know that this is a wrestling community. Across, or, uh, Wisconsin Rapids is a wrestling community, right? Well, this, the picture for that word struggle was taken from a wrestling match. If you've seen wrestlers, when they go and they grab each other, and they're kind of holding each other like this, and they're going around, they're locked in that position. That's that same word picture that's described here for struggle. It's this personal, one-on-one battle. So we as Christians are engaged in this battle personally. Once you give your life to Jesus Christ, you are in the battle. There's no getting out of it. You're in there. The second thing we can see through this passage about the battlefield is that the battlefield is supernatural. The battlefield is supernatural. When he describes all these things, it's not against flesh and blood. The battle's not against human beings. It's not against the people who've hurt us, the people that we don't like or the people that we're angry about. We're not battling human beings. It's a different battle. It's on a different realm. It's against the rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers of darkness, against evil, and the spiritual forces. Where is it? In the heavens. I want to talk about that word a little bit, in the heavens. But know that this isn't a battle we can see and fight in our own strength before us. This is a battle we need spiritual insight for. It's a battle that's taking place somewhere else that we are a part of because of who we are in Christ. It says the spiritual battle is located in the heavens, plural. Do you see that? How it's not just in the heaven, it's in the heavens. When the Bible uses the word heavens, plural, there's three different ways that can be used because the Bible describes three different heavens, quote unquote, if you will. The first heavens the Bible typically talks about is the atmosphere we live in, the blue sky, the things we see around us, our atmosphere. That's kind of the first heavens. And sometimes when the Bible uses the word heaven or heavens, it's talking about that first heaven where we live, the atmosphere around us. The second heavens or heaven the Bible talks about is what we would consider outer space, where we see the stars and the planets and the moons going around. In fact, in Psalm 19.1, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God, talking about the stars and the galaxies declare God's glory. So there's that second heavens is considered outer space. The third heaven is where we consider the throne of God to be right now. When we die, we go to the third heaven. We're in that place of the presence of God. And scripture tells us that this battle is taking place in a portion of the third heaven, and some scholars believe in somewhat even in the second heaven, because there's language and imagery that talks about how the word angel, which is one of the primary people who fight this battle, is likened to the word star. 
And so somewhere between the second and third heavens, this battle is constantly taking place. And it's a battle between the enemy, Satan, and his dominion, and his demonic forces, and God and the angelic forces. There's a battle that is taking place. And what I want you to take away from all this is that your life is affected by this battle because as a believer, you are in this battle whether you realize it or not. Your life is impacted by what goes on in the battle. You might say, well, can you show that to me biblically? Yes, I can. You don't have to turn there, but in Daniel chapter 10, we have a vivid picture of how this battle affects us as Christians today. In Daniel chapter 10, verses 10 to 14, there's a great story that shows us. I'm going to read it to you. It says, suddenly, this is Daniel talking, a hand touched me and sent me shaking on my hands and knees. So Daniel's saying he's, he's praying, and this hand touches him. That hand's an angel. And he said to me, Daniel, you are a man treasured by God. Wouldn't that be a lovely thing to hear an angel say to you? You are treasured by God. Understand the words that I'm saying to you. Stand on your feet, for I have now been sent to you. After he said this, I stood trembling. Then the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you've purposed to understand, to humble yourself before God, your prayers were heard. That's a huge thing we're going to talk about a little later. Your prayers were heard. And then check out what the angel says. He says, I have come because of your prayers. So this angel comes to Daniel to strengthen him because he is praying for help. Verse 13, but now check this out. This is how that world of battle affects us. Verse 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia, which is a, a, a force like the Paul's describing in Ephesians 6, opposed me for 21 days. He opposed me for 21 days. Then Michael, the archangel, one of the chief princes, came to help me after I had been left there with the king of Persia. So this angel is saying to Daniel that you called and asked for help. I was dispatched, but I got caught in that battle where this prince of Persia was preventing me and resisting me to come for 21 days until Michael came and battled him and freed me so I can come and bring help to you. You see, our lives, though we don't realize it, are connected to this spiritual battle. There's a battle that's going on in the heavenlies, and whether we see it or not, it affects us each and every day. And we are called to engage in this battle, to be participants in this battle. So who's behind this battle? I want to talk about our enemy. Look at verse 11. Put on the full armor of God, so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Right there, the schemes of the devil. Satan is our enemy. He is the one who's overseeing the kingdom of darkness. This verse introduces him as the chief enemy. And there are some things that we need to know about our enemy if we're going to engage in the battle. There's things we have to know about him. First, he is not everywhere like God is. Sometimes Christians have this idea like Satan is all over the place. They'll say, I'm being attacked by Satan. I'm being attacked by Satan. Satan's there. Satan's here. Satan is, can only be in one spot at one time. If you are attacked from Satan, or if you are attacked, more than likely it's from a demonic force, not Satan himself. Satan is not like God where he's omnipresent. He's only one place in one time. Second, we have to realize is that Satan is powerful. Yes, 
He, we are not strong enough to beat him in our own strength. He is powerful, and we have to be aware of that and be wise, but he is not nearly as powerful as our God. He can't hold a candle to God. He wants to be God, but he doesn't hold a candle to him. See, some Christians fall in one or two sides of the ditch on this one. They either fall on the side where they consider him to be a weak thing. They don't give him any kind of understanding of what his power is like. They kind of picture this cartoon little Satan with a red pitchfork and uh, his horns, and they look at him like a little cartoon that's just there to antagonize us. That's one side of the ditch that we have to avoid. He does have some power, and we have to acknowledge that and recognize that. But also the other side of the ditch that we fall in is we think that he has just as much power as God. We have this idea of this cosmic boxing match happening in heaven where when good things happen on earth, that means Jesus won the match, and so good things happen on earth. And when bad things happen on earth, the things that it feels like Satan won them, that's a poor, poor biblical picture. That's not how it works. Satan is defeated. Satan's powers are very limited. God controls what Satan can do. God stands supremely victorious over Satan and for God's own divine purposes for a very small temporary period of time in comparison to eternity where we live, he allows Satan to operate. But it's limited and Satan will be destroyed when Jesus comes back to earth once and for all. He will take, God will take what he put into motion at the cross and complete it when Jesus returns and Satan will be done away with forever. He's a defeated foe. He has some power, but he's not as powerful as God. And we have to recognize that. He's not on the same equal footing. He's not even close. So this verse tells us about Satan, but it also says something else. Look at verse 11. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of Satan. This word schemes. You see, Satan wars against believers and unbelievers. He uses these schemes against believers to pull you away from God, to trip you up, to cause you to slow down in your spiritual maturity. Just make you say, well, I don't want to be that much into Jesus. I'll hold back a little bit. He wants to slow you down so you don't walk fully in the way that God intended you to be in. So he puts up these schemes to stop that. He also has schemes against unbelievers to blind them to the truth, that they won't understand the gospel, that they won't understand what Jesus did for them. Like an opposing football team, the demonic realm watches the game film of our lives. They know our history. They know our weak spots. They know our experiences. They know the sin patterns in our life. They know the things that tempt us and the things that entice us. And their goal is to keep us from experiencing God's will in our life. And they want to strategically come and pull us away from those things. And they are good at what they do. We are not the first assignment they've been given. They've been doing this for a long, long time. Now, we don't need to be afraid of that. We just need to be wise about that. We need to be sober-minded about that. And we need to know that so that we can fight appropriately in this battle. And I want to teach you how to do that, but first, we need to look quickly at the reality of this battle. Look at verse 10. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Doesn't that sound good? You have a God who doesn't have just a little bit of strength to give you. 
It's vast. By his vast strength, to walk out this spiritual battle, we must be strengthened by the Lord. We cannot fight this battle in our own strength. We cannot fight this battle apart from God. That's why the biggest thing you can do to engage this battle is to be daily interacting and building your relationship with Jesus Christ. As you do that daily, you are infusing and strengthening yourself for this battle. Sometimes we think it's just to connect to God and get to know God, and that's true, but we have to know the other side of that is there's a battle going on, and when we engage in our relationship with God and nurture our souls, we are strengthening ourselves for the battle. We must walk in His strength and not our own. We need the power of God through the cross of Jesus Christ. Because at the cross, that is the source of the defeat of our enemy. The cross of Jesus Christ is a place where Jesus Christ defeated Satan in all of his schemes, in all of his thoughts, in all of his plans once and for all. We see that in Colossians chapter 2, 14 to 15. It says, He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross Check this out. This is what Jesus did to Satan on the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities. Remember those word pictures we saw in these verses. And he disgraced them publicly because he triumphed over them in him, meaning God triumphed over them in Christ. Through the cross of Jesus Christ, Satan is defeated. The only power Satan has over a Christian is the power the Christian allows him to have. The only power Satan has over the Christian, if you're in Christ, is the power you allow him to take from you. We are to be strengthened in the Lord for this fight. So how do we do that? Three ways that we're strengthened. First of all, we are strengthened by his word. We are not going to be, be strong for the battle unless we become people of the book. And I encourage you to spend time daily in his word. I don't have time to go into that now because we've covered that in other sermons in this series. But I encourage you, whether it's the version app and going through a Bible plan, whether it's uh, using your paper Bible, daily feed your mind on God's word. Let God's word flow through your hearts and your minds on a regular basis to be strengthened by him. Second, to be strengthened by God, we must be and become people of prayer. We must be and become. See that phrase? Be and become. It's a process. We grow in this thing called prayer. Some people think prayer is just this like little thing we know. We have to be living lives of prayer. We grow in prayer. There's so much that the Bible talks about standing and praying in the battle. Look at verse 18 of chapter 6. Paul says, pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request. Stay alert with all perseverance and intercession, that's prayer, for all the saints. This is something we grow in. And in this last part of the sermon, I want to focus the bulk of our time on prayer and how we grow in this thing called prayer. It's one of my biggest prayers that we at Crossview Church would become a praying church. When the disciples went to Jesus and said, teach us to pray, he gave them what, if you're Protestant, has been known as the Lord's Prayer. If you've been raised Catholic, it's been known as the Our Father. The prayer that Jesus prayed, in, and it's a great prayer, and it's, it's a guide to show us the ways to pray. You can recite that prayer over and over, and that's a good thing if your heart's in that. 
but also it's a guide to show us how to pray. And I'm going to walk through a method for us to pray, and you're going to see if you look back that everything I show you is kind of placed in this prayer that Jesus taught us how to pray. I remember when I first became a Christian, I'd go to prayer meetings. And one of the reasons I go to prayer meetings is because I heard people praying differently than how I was praying. I kept praying for all my needs. God, will you do this in my life and this in my life and this in my life? And when I went to this prayer meeting, they were praying for other things. They were praying for God to move in big ways. And I would just tune in and listen. I'd just sit there really quietly, and that's how I learned to pray, by attending a prayer meeting. If we're ever having a prayer meeting and you feel like, I'm not a good at this thing called prayer, just come and just sit and just listen. Let it be a training ground for you to how to pray. It's one of the gifts that, that the church gives is to teach us how to pray. And many times when we pray, our main focus is about our needs and what we need. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's okay. God asked us to bring our needs to him. However, I want to teach you a more complete way to pray that will prepare you for the battle. A more complete way to pray that will help us engage this battle. And if we as a church grow together in this complete way, we will see amazing things happen. We'll see the kingdom of God expanded in our church and our city in ways like we never thought we could. We'll be like that fighter jet that moves and engages into the battle. So there are three military terms that author and teacher Jerry Bridges, who's a pastor and teacher, put together this article that talks about the ways that we can pray as believers. And if you ever want the article, just email it to me and I'll send it to you. It's a fantastic article that opens your mind to the ways that we can pray. But in this article, he talks about how uh, to pray, we need to pray strategically, tactically, and logistically. Strategically, tactically, and logistically. When a military commander goes to battle, they think about these three things all the time. They think strategically, how do I meet the objective of this battle? What is the purpose? What am I supposed to do? How do I meet that objective? That's all strategical thinking. Tactical thinking, what are the steps that have to happen between now and when that thing is accomplished that I need to make sure take place? Tactically thinking. And logistics, what are the supplies that we're going to need? And we can look at our prayer life in these three different ways. We can pray strategic prayers, we can pray tactical prayers, and we can pray logistic prayers. Most of our prayer life is in the logistics. Jerry Bridges said in his article, in fact, 70 to 80%, he believes, of the prayers that church and Christians pray are all logistical. He said in his own church, he really felt like you don't get prayed for unless you're sick or you lost your job. But there's a whole other side of prayer that we need to look at, and we're going to look at all of those. So strategic prayer, when we're talking about strategic prayer, this refers to the ultimate objective, the overall plan of the war. What is the big picture that God wants to accomplish? And Jesus invited us to pray strategic prayers, to pray strategically in the Lord's Prayer, where he said, God, let your kingdom come and your will be done. Strategic what the kingdom that rules and reigns from God happen here on earth. Bring that down. Let your kingdom come. Let it rule. That's a huge strategic prayer. God, let revival happen in our city. Let hearts turn. Let there be people who don't know you in Wisconsin Rapids in droves. Let them turn their hearts to see your grace and your goodness in our lives. 
There's times in history where revival happened in our country and other countries, and if you look at the history of revival, where large crowds of people came to God, it didn't happen until first there was a prayer movement that brought it in, praying these big strategic prayers. The next way to pray is tactically. This prayer is praying for specific things necessary to achieve the objective. These are things like, God, I pray my friend understands who you are and what you've done, and they experience you as Lord and Savior. God, I pray that my family member who doesn't know you would come to know you, that you'd open the eyes of their heart to see what Jesus did on the cross. These are tactical prayers that are steps to bring about the kingdom. And then finally, logistical prayers. These are the ones that we know of. This kind of prayer is simply giving us what we need to stay in the battle. God, give us emotional, spiritual well-being. Give us what we need. Give us physical health. Give us provisions. As I said, we tend to kind of camp in the logistical, but I want us as a church to expand our prayer life to the strategic and the tactical. I hope to teach this more than just once so that we become people that operate in all three of these things when we pray as a church. Again, there's nothing bad about just logistical prayers, but it's incomplete if we're going to go and do battle. We need to have the other two. And if we pray the strategic, the tactical, and logistic in our times where we're doing it in our families, if we pray that way in our life groups, if we pray that way in our worship services, we will be a force reckoned with in the spiritual realm because God will infuse us. Imagine what a church can do when it prays all three of these fronts. So again, strategic. Here's an example. God, will you move powerfully in our city that many people who do not know you will turn their hearts to you and be transformed by your love and power. Strategic prayers are right from the heart of God. This is God's heart, and we pray God's heart. Those are strategic prayers that he would move in those ways. Tactical. God, I pray that our friends and our coworkers, our classmates and our family members will understand who you are and what you did for them on the cross. May they experience your love and your grace and your power in ways they've never before. That's a tactical prayer. God, will you bring that about? Let that happen so your purpose will be done. And logistical prayer, God, we pray you heal those who are sick. We pray you provide financially and practically for those in need. Those are our logistical prayers. So what I want us to do now, whether you're online or in the worship center, I want us to practice this. I want us to take time, and we're going to have a time of silence, and I'm going to guide you through, but you're going to take some time, and you're going to pray a strategic prayer, a big picture, God's kingdom come. One strategic prayer, I invite you to pray all the time. God, make Crossview Church a praying church that prays on all these fronts to engage in the battle. That's a great strategic prayer. And then I'm going to guide us to pray a tactical prayer, and then we're going to pray a logistical prayer. All right, so I want us to practice this together. And so in a time of silence, we're going to start with strategic prayer. And you just, I encourage you, and if this is all new to you and you haven't done this, just sit and take it in. It's okay. But if you're up for it in that silence and the quietness of your heart, pray one strategic prayer to God, something big picture that you can pray. And so let's begin there with the strategic. Let's go before God now and pray that. God, we pray this big picture prayer. We pray that you would rule and reign and that you would make us 
a praying church that engages in the battle and is not distracted. And we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in this place, in our church and in our city and in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's pray something tactical, something that's a step to accomplish that, maybe for your family, your friends, that they would know Jesus, that the gospel would go. Maybe it's for a country where we send our missionaries, that they, that country would be open and many people would come to know him. So take some time now and just in the quietness of your heart, pray a tactical prayer. Jesus, there are friends and families we know who are far from you. We ask that they would be brought close to you and know you in deeper ways. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now logistical. What are some needs that you may know from people in our church or your family? And we just pray those needs to God. So go ahead and take some time just to pray logistically to God. Father in heaven, we thank you that you've encouraged us to bring our knees before you, that you are a God who provides. And so we ask now for those in our church who are struggling financially or with health, spiritually, emotionally, physically, would you bring your healing and provision? And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So we are strengthened in his word. We are strengthened through prayer. And finally, as we close, we are strengthened as we gather together and remember what Jesus Christ did to defeat Satan in this battle. Every time we gather as Christians, we are strengthened together. When he, Paul talks about in these verses, he says uh, in verse 11, put on the full armor of God, and we're going to do that at a different time. I can't get into it today. But the armor that a Roman centurion wore was all in the front. Nothing protected the back because when they went into combat, they would pair up and they would cover each other's back. And so they would go back to back. And I thought, what a beautiful picture of the body of Christ, that we have each other's back, that we strengthen one another in the battle when we come together and we encourage one another, we love one another. We serve one another. It gives us strength for this battle. Jesus said this, when two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. Do you recognize that Jesus is among us right now? When we gather, he is among us. Whether gathered online or gathered here in a worship center. And what we want to do is move into a time of communion where we remember the place where God defeated Satan once and for all at the cross. When we take communion together, we are strengthened in the battle because together, together as his church, we remember the cross where Satan was defeated, where the demonic forces were disarmed, where they were publicly disgraced. And not only that, where we were set free from the punishment of our sins, where we are set free from guilt and shame and regret and all those things we wish we could change. We could bring them all to the cross and be washed clean. I was watching a TV program and there was a phrase in the program that captured my attention because these two people were talking. And this one guy was talking about a mythical story where people would take this journey. They would travel. And he said the reward for taking the journey was that you would receive forgiveness for the sins of an entire lifetime. 
Doesn't that phrase sound good? To receive the forgiveness of sins for an entire lifetime. But let me tell you something. You can't find that by earning your way through walking a journey like they depicted in that TV show. You find that only from one place, and that's by journeying to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because at the cross of Jesus Christ, when you come broken and humble and you ask for forgiveness, you will receive forgiveness for the sins that will last a lifetime on earth and beyond. Because his strength is vast, his mercy is vast, his grace is vast, his forgiveness is vast. Unlimited forgiveness, mercy, grace is at the cross of Jesus. And when we come and gather and remember that, we are strengthened for the battle. So as we celebrate communion, I'm going to encourage you to take the elements that you picked up coming in now and begin to prepare this. Not only do you have to prepare and open these packages, but you have to prepare and open your hearts as well. The Bible encourages us when we go to communion to do so not casually, not flippantly, but to prepare our hearts. And so I'm going to give you a moment if there's things that you want to make right with God. Maybe there's sins that you've committed that you haven't asked for forgiveness for. Uh, maybe you just want to stand, sit in God's presence to prepare your heart for communion. I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. Just go before God and examine your heart before we take communion. Now as we together, together as one body, remember what Jesus did at the cross. The night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he gave thanks and he said, this is my body, which has been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also, he took the cup. And after supper, he gave thanks and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. We thank you that there is a place that washes our sin white as snow. We thank you for the blood of your son. And God, we pray that we would be strengthened in our time here together as we remember that for the battle that lies before us. Strengthen your church, God, we ask, through the help of your spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.